Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. In each programme we'll focus on a particular movie, we're going to talk about it, review it, share our thoughts on it and discuss some of the sort of the wider ideas and thoughts it throws off. And as we always do, we're going to end with our recommendations for films to watch following this week's film. I can see this week I've gone particularly actor-director focused, but it can be thematic, can be whatever we want to talk about, really. But obviously, who are we and what you care? At this point, we are 40 episodes in, so you can know who we are. My name is Rob Maythorn. I make and write about films. His name's Sam Knowles. He writes and teaches about pop culture and literature. And this week, Rob, it was your choice. It was my choice. And I went for the Oscar-winning 1997 film, Good Will Hunting. I've been looking over this rap sheet of yours. Assault, theft, resisting. I've spoken to the judge, and he's agreed to release you under my supervision. Really? You have to meet with a therapist every week. That's pretty good. For the first time in his life, he's about to meet his match. How many shrinks you go to before me? Five. This boy's genius is unparalleled. I need someone who can get through to him. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. Will Hunting essentially is the film of Will Hunting, a janitor working at MIT in America, who, it is discovered, is a... Prodigy of mathematics, a, um, a a a boy genius, but he comes from a very rough neighbourhood in Boston. He has his friends; they are not violent thugs, but they are wide living boys from Boston who get into scrapes and fights. There's no real ill will to them, but they are certainly off the rails. And the film tells the story of his growing relationship with Robin Williams a therapist, and all the, all the ancillary relationships that circle around that, that help Will to navigate, shall we say, the new world he finds himself in. That's the quick synopsis. Hmm. Sam, your on-the-spot review. I very much like this film. I um, like always have that, and I've seen it several times, and I won't be the only person to have rewatched the bench scene with Ron Williams and Matt Damon um, ends with your move, Chief, on the death of Ron Williams, because I think that might be possibly. I've, I've said, I know I've said this about half a dozen times in the course of this podcast, but I really think that might be the best scene in cinema history is Robin Williams' monologue. Um, and also Matt, Matt Damon's acting. I mean, Matt Damon doesn't speak, but there's a lot of acting going on. So I, I really like that. I like their relationship. I really like this film. I I suppose I haven't seen it for a while and I tended to focus on that relationship, which I suppose is the, the central point of the film, but I'd forgotten just how good it was. Just how... It reminded me of, the, of what we've talked about before with the scenes in Reservoir Dogs and you have a scene like it in, in Pulp Fiction with... Characters just being friends and chatting to each other. And pop culture references aren't forced. And conversations between friends aren't forced. They just they just happen easily. Um, and I think that Ben Affleck-Matt Damon writing-directing relationship really captured that in the same way that Quentin Tarantino did in his certainly his early films. 
Um, but there were some there were some really good bits of cinema as well. I was uh, struck by the the slow mo fight scene that the the four of them engage in. It's um, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Casey Affleck, and then I don't know who the fourth is. It's the group of friends. Cole Hauser. Right. And it's they they launch themselves into a, into a street fight essentially, and it's it's choreographed like a ballet, and it's it's in slow motion, and it's set to the Baker Street theme, and it's just it was just a really nice piece of cinema. I I very much enjoyed that. So I'd say although I look forward to going back to this film because. I I've always thought of this as a film I liked. I I'd forgotten so many of the of the good bits of this film that it, it's been good to to revisit. I I can only agree, really. I mean, I, I I picked the film knowing that when I saw it previously, I really liked it. But I think I would agree that I think I forgot a lot of the film. Mm. That that there are that the, there's certain standout scenes. Obviously, the bench scenes one that stands out, the fight scenes one that stands out, and the uh, short monologue from Ben Affleck at the end about. Um, the insult of if if Will Hunting's still there in twenty years' time, mm. but so much of the film I had forgotten, and I and many I'd forgotten the the relationship with Minnie Driver and how integral that is to it. And in many ways, I think as a culture we have kind of forgotten Minnie Driver generally. I think she's as part much of this film as anyone else, mm. uh, despite not getting very high billing in a lot of places. I think that relationship that is, is very much a humanizing element. Um, but I just think I think the film, the thing that I really love, despite the the main two, Matt Damon and Robin Williams, two main sort of leads of the film, that everyone else in this film is so well sketched out. Yes, you've yeah. got um, Skarsgård playing the the matter who find who finds Will Hunting, who, whilst I suppose it, I, I say push if you want to find one, is the bad guy of the film, but. He's really not a bad guy, you know. He's quite an emotional speech at the end, in which he kind of, you know, laments ever finding Will Hunting because it kind of ruins his own view of himself. And yes, mm. he's arrogant and a bit selfish, but he's not a bad guy. He's very much trying to help Will, albeit in a certain way. You've got his assistant, who maybe has, you know, five lines on a thing, but certainly has a has a personality. The you know, the film is so well sketched out in that respect. And I do think that's Gus Van Sant um, bringing a lot to it. Obviously, as you mentioned, Affleck and Damon won an Oscar for their screenplay. Mm. And it is a very good screenplay. Um, I think it's a lot of these films that I would kind of generally sort of diagnose and kind of I generally kind of group together under the genre of teacher films, shall we say, mm. of the inspiring teacher. I think that Robin Williams obviously did a great one in Dead Poets Society. It's very much about the young, troubled person finding the older, wiser person to lead them through something. But I do think this film has a great kind of handle on the other options, as it were. So you've got the option of being, you know, the mass genius doing what he wants, and the family option at home, the friends. And in, in this film, that isn't seen not as a bad option, but it isn't seen as a bad thing to do. It isn't like he's genuinely in trouble you know the, the the guy he jumps and the fight he gets arrested for in the film is him beating up his like primary school bully mm. it's not like they're out robbing people they aren't thugs they aren't criminals in that respect they're just kids from the estate as it were and also the i mean yes it's 
it's him getting getting zoned back on a on a kindergarten bully. But also, there is a suggestion. I mean, you can't really see what's going on in the scene leading up to that. But there's a suggestion that this other gang has been faintly misogynistic. So there's a kind of a white knight element to what they're mm. doing. So you're right. It's it's not. It's certainly not sort of fighting for the sake of fighting. And there there is a there is there's a reasoning behind what he does in that scene. That there's a warmth to their friendship and the the, the, the four of them in the gang. That they aren't they aren't bad guys. Mm. Um, and there is, I suppose, the central message of this film generally is there's nothing wrong with any life, as long as it's the one that you're using your talents for. And you know you've got Chucky, who is played by Ben Affleck, who is very much the representation of the other, the other life, the life not lived, um, by Will Hunting. And he works construction and odd jobs here and there and that kind of thing. But there's never a moment in this film when it's kind of like actually this is below you or this is like for for for, for Will, but this is a bad option. No, and that does the thing that you have this world where he's with Chucky and his friends by night and by day he's with them on the construction yard and that's mm. one life. And then there's the other option which is studying math with um, Skarsgård and then going into working with the NSA or working mm. in banking, whatever. They, there's no sense that there's like a, a dichotomy of those two because at the end he decides, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to go beyond both of those and I'm going to choose something for myself. Yes. And the film is quite okay with that. There's there's something very generous about the film that doesn't say this, um, we're going to look down on these blue-collar workers and we're also actually, we're going to, you're going to have to aspire to be white-collar but at the same time we're going to be a bit sneery about you because that's what Robin Williams has taught us to do in the film. It, the film is quite happy to say, look, let both of those slide. You, mm. you go with whatever makes you a person. I think like Robin Williams' is, his character is very much... It, I think this is... One of the things I really like about this film um, is the subtlety in which they hand the Robin Williams character. In a lesser film, he could have been the... Be what I was. You know, go yes. be what I was. I chose what I wanted to do. I could have been anything you know he could have been not a fieldman but he he was clearly on track for greatness and he chose something else um and the story of him missing the world series he chose something else but also the film lets him learn something from will yes so rather than a film that you know what this is exactly how you should be i think that is what Sticking in this genre of teacher films, I'm trying to think of the word that there is a much better word for this kind of you know mentor film, shall we say? They call it. Yeah, I, the mentor yeah, because there's not he, that. That's the thing about this film is that, in, if anything, Will is doing the teaching in this film all the way through. You have hmm. Will as an academic voice, and yet he is the one who is who is led. So yeah, so so men, mentoring is probably the best. Yeah, it's a mentoring and. I suppose in many ways they're presenting Ron Williams as a secret third option, but it is about he like the he learns as well and at the end puts himself back out there, whatever that means, whether that means a new romantic relationship or whatever. But it's 
he is a flawed character himself. Mm. And you see it in Ron Williams, there are fits, these outbursts of rage, mainly around his wife and that kind of thing. And I really think, it, as I was saying earlier, it does so well to humanise these characters. No one in this film feels like a, a, a lazy sketch. No, no, exactly. Um, with the popular selection of the uh, the rich kid who uh, Will Hunting embarrasses in the in the in the bar. Yeah, I suppose so. that that could be. But uh, yeah, there, there was there was one. There's another minor character that I want to talk about, um, also bar related. Um, and it's when um, Sean and Jerry have a conversation um, in Sean's local um, with Timmy the bartender. And yes. there's a really interesting dynamic whereby this conversation that's going on between Sean and Jerry is commented on by a third voice. Or Robin Williams can turn to this third voice and ask him something. And... I I re- I thought about that. I thought about that as if this was like an audience proxy. This was a a really interesting way for Damon or Affleck or Van Santer, whoever's doing it, to say, "Look, I'm going to insert the audience into this scene, and you're going to have a voice." Because I find myself when when Timmy gets asked questions. I find myself thinking, oh yeah, he invented polio. Albert Einstein, I know who he is. Hang on, who's that guy? Oh, oh right, shoe bomber. I've got to, the unibomber. I've got to readjust how how I think now, and it it allows that that dynamic allows the audience to be part of that scene. I thought that was really well done as well. Looking at the film in a larger sense, there are two sort of I find it warring ideals in this film. One of which I would call. Realism and the moment called abstractism, for want of more technical terms, I'm sure Sam can correct me on. So I feel you've got on one side you've got Chucky and you've got Robin Williams as the realism side. You know that their worlds are real; they are fleshed out. They have, you know, all the scenes, all their bars. They're in feel like real bars. They feel like a real tangible world in which you live. And that bar is a great one. That that feels like a good local pub. Mm. Shall we say? Yeah. On the other end, you've got the abstractism of of Skarsgård and the maths world, and I think it's very interesting that the maths problems that we see will solve absolutely none of them are anything real. No. They are all they are no. all algebraic. They are all none of them like they they don't make no effort in any way to explain to the audience what he's solving. I would say actually, some something just came to mind. It, he will brings a sense of realism to those problems. He brings the world of Chucky and Robin, Chucky and um, what's his name, Sean, to to those problems, mm. um, because his solutions to those problems are real. Are I? I was just thinking about that problem which involves drawing vertices and drawing, and they what looks like a the chemical formula drawing. Like spokes on a bicycle wheel, almost. Yeah. And you think there's something real and earthy to that, even though you've got this. You're right. You've got this abstract mathematical problem, but what Will is doing is bringing reality to that. So when you have, you have the um, the scene in which he and Skarsgård are working. He, he and Jerry are working together for the first time, and you have them sort of competing at a chalkboard. 
and it's it's very physical the way that they strike things off and there's almost i mean it's it's something that that Jerry's assistant notices that there's almost a sort of something some sort of physical relationship between the two of them so this is this is what will bring so will will seems to bring these two these two ideas together he certainly brings the thing about a vitality and youth to the place mm. um the, the scenes in which they do mass are very kind of leather lined wood lined rooms they're all very kind of that kind of staid academia um mm. and i think that he brings a, a certain juxtaposition to that in the way that Skarsgård does in reverse when he heads to the pub with Sean not that he, not that he stands out a sore thumb but there's a, a disconnect and I think there's two mirrored scenes here that kind of highlight that in one of which is the very first scene with Sean the very first scene, the second scene with Sean when he goes out for dinner, clearly Jerry's turf and they have this really nice meal in what looks like a very fancy restaurant and in that you see Sean looking very hunched over kind of over his drink, over his coffee almost very small and Jerry look, Gerald looks much more relaxed and easygoing. And you can mirror that scene, the early scene, with the later one we discussed with in the pub. Mm. When the whole relationship is reversed, it, both of them feel out of water. And I think it's worth noting that, because I know often I, I come to these from a technical point of view, that the colour and the framing that Gus Van Sant uses is very interesting here. The colour particularly. If you follow the film through, you can see very clearly scenes in which you're meant to feel relaxed and okay and scenes we aren't you can right. see it in costume you can see it in lighting it's, it's, it's very simple it's very very simple and it's, once I explain it it sounds very very simple but basically the scenes that are ones where people feel happy and warm and safe are warmer they are golden they are softer the scenes where we're supposed to feel a little bit on edge are much more barren much more colder and bluer Think of the corridor, the scene where Will gets caught right on the wall. It's very barren. It's very, it's very clinical. Yeah. Um, you contrast that with Sean's office, bottom of the stairs, full of things, very cramped. It feels like a warm, almost hobbit hole-like mm. space. And the film does a lot with its framing and its set dressing and its colour to give you this world of this is warm, this is cold. And you look at Will when he's working on the construction yard it's very cold, it's very blue. So it's saying to us at that point, through the colour, this is not what we should be. This is, this is not right. This mm. is not where we should be. You know, the scenes when he's with um, Minnie Driver's character, much warmer, much more skyly, much more sort of earthy um, mm. rather than the blue chillness. And it's, it's subtle, and so until you're looking for it, you won't see it. But if you watch it ever again and you look for the colour, it is very clearly signalling to us this is happy, warm times. This is safety for him. This is not where he feels comfortable. Whether mm. we and the film should say actually he should stay in a safe place is a different thing. You know, the film at the end he leaves a safe place to go somewhere else. But that's what the film is saying to us in his world: that this is safe, this is safe, this isn't safe. There was something I was thinking about in in that very early scene with um, Sean and Jerry in the restaurant. It made me think. Listening to you talking about technical aspects, um, how well the screenplay, how well the script works with the direction, um, mm. because you have that that warmness, that sense of oh, this, this is somewhere where where Jerry belongs and he feels comfortable, 
and then you have a turn in the script. When we focus on Sean, when you, you see him looking small and uncomfortable, you have him say, it, Jerry says, um, oh, it's been ages. And Sean says, um, it, Jerry says, when was the last time I saw you? When was the last time I spoke to you? And Sean says, not since before Nancy's funeral. Or not since Nancy's funeral. There's something in that line which speaks a lot about Sean's grief. And a lot about how how resentful he feels of Jerry. How uncomfortable he feels in that, that situation. And you can feel the atmosphere flip. You can feel Jerry go, oh, yeah, I've, I've been an arsehole. Mm. They, they, I, I thought this was a comfortable environment. I thought this was nice. And then actually this is someone I've really hurt. And I can see that I've really hurt him. He's an old friend. And this is what I did wrong here. Um, and there's something really clever. They, there's a, it's very well written. There are, there are times in, in the dialogue where... A lot gets said, um, and a lot gets said in, in conjunction with how it's filmed, but a lot gets said beyond the the actual words. Mm. Yeah, I think that's in, it. Won the Oscar for a reason, and I wouldn't take it anyway from them. I think it, it does a great job um, mm. in kind of in putting in, 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 in a bare minimum dialogue, conveying so much about. The characters and and the story and the history, you know, like, there's clearly a history between Sean and Gerald that is never overly explained, but we pick it all up completely from the inferences and the way of things and that stuff. I was just going to say the some something else about the about the way it's filmed. The first scene that Sean and Will actually talk, and you have the scene in which um, Will says absolutely nothing. Uh, to prove a point, but the first scene in which they actually talk um, is not really about anything in particular, but that doesn't matter. The way that scene is shot is markedly different from the rest of the film, mm. and there's a there's a jerkiness to that, um, and you tend to feel that this is connected, like there's something around honesty and will about opening up. This is the first time he's had a genuine conversation with someone, mm. uh, with with Sean in this scene, and the camera work matches that because suddenly it's not fluid, and and you you've seen it sort of in in the in the opening shots with the credits, you have sort of a, a fluid kaleidoscopic movement of the camera, but when you get this scene with Sean, the first scene of honesty, it's very jerky, it's very scrappy. Mm. Um, and I think that's been done certainly for a reason. I, I I can only agree. So Sam, some recommendations. That early scene focusing on um, the the credits, even focusing on Matt Damon's face, made me we think about other Matt Damon films. Recommend, and I think uh, there there are several good ones, particularly from his his early work, and not not ones I want to want to recommend here. Um, my two are acting related though as I suggested at the beginning Um, the first one is I think it would be remiss not to mention um, a Robin Williams film given the strength of his performance here and I am going to go for Good Morning Vietnam 
as a really it's a solid piece of filmmaking but beyond that it's it's a brilliant character from Robin Williams um, and you can may, maybe you, you dislike him for his energy you don't like the comic character that he's portraying but there's a really I think there's a, there's a really interesting character being being presented as the DJ in Good Morning Vietnam and my second is well another actor in this film but actually um, it's Ben Affleck taking his experiences in, in Good Will Hunting and and moving into direction. It was, I don't know if it was, it was his first as sole director, but it was certainly his first big budget film, um, Argo, which I very much enjoyed, and I was pleasantly surprised by Ben Affleck having... And he, he, was, he was brilliant in Good Will Hunting, but then I didn't seem to see him in anything good for for 10-15 years and then suddenly he's in Argo and he's brilliant so I would recommend those two Good Morning Vietnam and Fair Argo enough. now my first thought was you know what recent film can I recommend this film? I thought well Batman vs Superman you know that, that, that was that was a great film recently wasn't it that was brilliant um, but then I thought no yeah, no it's no longer April Fool's and uh, <laughs> it was there all so I've got two recommendations one that's I don't know it, it's not it's kind of outrageous it's kind of it's it's a silly one basically, but I want to recommend the two thousand and one comedy Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Which I'm gonna bet none of you are thinking. The reason why I'm recommending this is in this film, which is basically a, a greatest hit from um Kevin Smith, Jay and Silent Bob go off to Hollywood to claim back some money. There's a there's a whole road trip element to it. But they do burst upon the set of Goodwill Hunting 2, in which Affleck is playing himself, Damon's playing himself, Gus Van Sant is playing himself. They've got back the incredibly arrogant rich kid from the first film. The four of them beautifully and wonderfully spoof the first film and their own cultural norms and cultural experiences. It is, in a film that is very much hit and miss, it is a great scene, and I, I think it's worth watching. Also, Affleck plays like two other parts in the film, um, so I think it, it, it is well worth checking out. Obviously, if you haven't seen the entire of Kevin Smith's film at that point, none of it will make any sense. <laughs> you have to have seen all of the films up to that point, otherwise you, you will lose it entirely. <laughs> but if you have watched it, it is brilliant. The more serious recommendation is a very, very little-known film from 2002 called Jerry. And I feel I may have recommended it in the past, I can't remember. But it's Gus Van Sant once again, it is Matt Damon once again, and it is Casey Affleck, rather than Ben this time. Affleck and Damon were the writers in it and the stars, and they are the only two people in the entire film. They are two friends, or brothers, or something, both called Jerry who get lost in the desert. And that is all I will say, and that is all it is. (laughs) There is a good seven, eight-minute shot of one of them trying to get down from a rock. And I appreciate that it's a very hard thing to sell in this film, but and and I appreciate why Sam is laughing, but this film 
is beautiful and evocative and I saw it once on a crappy TV on a crappy VHS University and it has stuck with me to this day. It is completely like completely forgotten. But it is I think it's brilliant. And I think that it is mm. one that it is on my list for us to talk about at some point because I think it has some very interesting things to say um and says things in very interesting ways. But it is not it sounds it sounds silly and strange, and it is certainly strange, but it isn't silly. Right. But it was it also is it's just stuck with me. It just stuck with me for fifteen years since I saw it. Jerry, two thousand two. I I like and I I I laughed at Rob because well there are bits of of that positive review that sound laughable, but I completely understand that. I I am intrigued by this. I'm. I love things that stick with you. It doesn't have to be films. It can be other other bits of pop culture. But film, films are a great a great one for this. There's a film that I recommended really early on is um, The Din de Kong. And that just stuck with me. And I don't really know why. But it's that same sort of thing. It, you get fascinated with something. Exactly. So I, again, against my... Uh, I won't say it's on better judgment. In spite of laughing in your face, I, I'm going to check out Jerry. I, I, cool. I would highly recommend it. But Sam, it is your choice for next week. Yes. Where are we going? Um, we're going to stick relatively old school, stay in the same decade, um, go a little bit earlier, and we'll go with a film that I suspect many people have seen. Um, and it is the 1991 film Silence of the Lambs. Interesting. I must say I haven't seen it in probably 10 years. I don't think I have either, but I am looking forward to going back. We can go over that. Excellent, guys. If you want to find us on Twitter, we are both on The Prestige Podcast. You can find me at life underscore academic. And you can find me at Rob Kaiju. Until then, we'll see you next week. Bye. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.